Welcome to the podcast of Local Community Church. Thanks for joining us. This recording is from one of our online services while we're unable to meet together. We hope it will encourage and inspire you in your faith journey. Hey everyone, welcome to church. So good to be with you again today. Yeah, so good to see you guys again. So we're going to move into our teaching for today and we're continuing that series on Acts and we're up to Acts chapter 9, which I think would have to probably be one of my favourite chapters in, in all of Nat, in, in all of Acts, because we get introduced to this character of Saul and or Paul as he became known, and uh, and and really it's this pivotal moment in the New Testament where Paul is converted, and mm. literally from there on in, we read a lot about his story, and he, he writes a lot of the New Testament, and really um, did a lot of the establishment of the early church, and particularly with the Gentiles, which is yeah. most of us. Um, so let me just. Um, give you a bit of context to, to that story. Saul, uh, as he was known, um, was heading to Damascus and he was doing that because he'd been given approval to basically arrest Christians and, and kill Christians and send them to Jerusalem to, to be put into jail. And as he was on his way, he literally encounters Jesus. It mm-hmm. says at the start that there was a light that was so bright and Jesus talked to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And then as he comes out of that, he's actually blinded. And as that's happened, he's given a vision of a, a man called Ananias and, and basically saying that he's going to come and pray for you. At the same time, uh, God is speaking to Ananias mm. and says, you need to go to this place and you're going to find Paul and you need to pray for him um, for healing. Now, you can imagine Ananias, he knows <laughs> this guy, he knows what he's been about. And he's like, God, are you sure? Is this the person you actually want me to go and pray for? Mm. And uh, and sure enough, he goes down and he finds Saul and he prays and his sight is restored and then Saul gets baptised. Now, that story alone, I think, just as we're going through Acts, is amazing. amazing. Like, I just, I just long, we long to see more of this where yeah. God is giving us specific words and it's like, go and do this thing and then you're going to go and do that and pray and see yeah. miracles and transformations and salvation. And so I just want to keep, I know we've not been gathering, but please kind of hear our heart and our energy in this, that we want this to be who we are and to go after these things. And today's message really helps with that. So we're going to pick up the story in a moment from Acts chapter 9, verse 19. But before we do that, let me just give you a few more interesting facts about Paul, because it's really good to understand who Mm. this person was. The first thing is people often get mistaken that like other passages in the Bible where we see a name change by God, that that was Saul to Paul. And that's not actually the case. So definitely when Abraham became Abraham or when Jacob became Israel, that was God changing their name. With this use of Saul and Paul, actually Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Greek name. But um, you see actually through the rest of Acts, that name is used interchangeably. So just make sure we've got that clear. Paul was... Um, a very unique person that really lined up to his calling because he actually was a Greek-speaking Jew who was a Roman citizen. And we see throughout the New Testament how these things actually became really important for the ministry he was called to. Uh, He actually made tents for a living, uh, and he did that to fund his ministry. A whole other story around that, because Kylie and I are very inspired by this idea of, of tent making uh, as, as a way to fund ministry, and it's what we've tried to model our life after. And Paul was also trained by the Pharisees. So he was actually part of that whole Pharisee um, group, which when he was killing Christians. Now, that's actually really important because he studied so much with them. It means he has this 
um, a lot of depth of the Old Testament scripture. Mm. And that's really cool because what he's been able to do as he actually finds Jesus, he was able to see how all of this Old Testament scripture pointed towards Jesus as the Messiah. And whenever we read these, we get these glimpses right throughout the New Testament mm. where Paul's writing and he's, and he's reflecting on, well, this is what the Old Testament meant and this is the proof of it in Jesus. And that's, for me, there's a massive revelation and things that we can learn from him. And of course, Paul is uh, one of the greatest authors in the Bible. He actually wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. So definitely someone that we need to be thinking around what we can uh, learn from and who he is. So Kylie's going to read for us. So we're looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 19 to 31. Great. So afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. And then Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to him. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So then Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Wow, so cool. Yeah. Just such an amazing transformation experience mm. he had. And so let's talk about what we can learn from Paul in that, that moment. And I guess I want to start thinking around this idea of the transformative experience that Paul had. And I think we've all had that transformative encounter with God. If you stop and think about it, there's probably for most of us this single point in time mm. that you can remember that you decided once and for all, I am going to be a follower of Jesus. And that was Paul's Damascus Road experience. And so I'd love us just right now to stop for a moment and just reflect, like think back on that time. Mm. Remember when it was that you said, yep, this is it. There's no turning back. I'm a follower of Jesus. Let's see if you can grab that moment. And I want you to think a bit about what it felt like at the time. Mm. Remember what was going on. What was it that caused you to make that decision? What was going on even just before you decided I'm going to make that decision. I mean, Paul was about to go and kill Christians and he's met Jesus. Mm. That was his moment. Where were you at that time? And what did that feel like? I'm trying to remember some of those feelings that were taking place. 
for me, it was like this very decisive thing. It's like, yes, I know. I've been in and out of this idea, but right now I know it's never going to be the same again. Mm. And as it happened, what was there, was there almost like an immediate change of priorities for you? Were there certain things that didn't matter anymore? What were those things that suddenly were important? They're, they're no longer important. And what were some of the things that changed for you? Did you have a different prayer life after that moment? Did you have a different sense of the spirit? Were you thinking around a different place that you need to serve and just give your time in service to the Lord? See, when Paul had his transformative experience, nothing else mattered at that point mm. than other than expanding the kingdom of God throughout the world and particularly you know, to this, this Gentile part that we've talked about. And it could be argued that Paul was actually, after Jesus, the greatest influence in the growth of the church in the history of the world. And he was compelled by his transformative experience to go after wholeheartedly what God had called him to do. There was literally nothing holding him back. So if we think about that relative to our own experience, I guess the question is, since we had that transformative encounter, what has life looked like since? Mm. Like Paul just absolutely went for it. Yeah. Now, for many of us, maybe there is that sense of a, now as I think about that, Ever since then, I feel like the Lord would say to me, good and faithful servant. And that's awesome. And we love hearing those stories of transformation. But I think for many of us, there might be this feeling that, yeah, I kind of got going, but things just didn't kick on like I expected. Things that I had my eye on that God had put in my heart, I just haven't managed to reach just yet. There seems to be something always in the way of me becoming the person that God wants me to become. And I just want to touch on that um, for a moment. I mean, there's lots of things that obviously can get in the way um, from this transformative moment to God's calling upon our life and, and seeing the fulfillment of that. But there's just two things I wanted to touch on that might help. And the first one is actually the concept of hurry. Now, as I talk about this, I want to thank Jared and Kylie Brown for putting me in touch with an author called John Mark Comer, who you may have heard of, and he's written some great books, but one of them which I'm really processing at the moment is called The Ruthless Elimination of Harry. Now, I'm not going to unpack all of it now, um, and probably over the next few months we'll be able to touch on some of the things, because I'm still going through this and learning, but, but for me what's become very, very clear is that our lives have become too fast. It's not that we don't desire the things of God. We, we, we probably do. It's just that life is so full and so fast that we never actually get there. We never get to doing the things that we want to in God. And he writes in his book that if the devil can't get you with sin, it will get you with hurry. Mm. And Kyle and I were talking about this and realized that actually hurry still creates separation from God, which is what sin actually is, is that separation moment. So maybe hurry kind of, who knows, it could be, you know, put in that, that zone a little bit as well. Hurry is an addiction in our Western culture, he talks about, and he's got reference after reference, and I'm, and I'm hearing this, it's like, wow, just, you know, even the language that we use and the pace that we work mm -hmm. out and the things that we prioritise, it's just, it is, for me, was like so blindingly obvious, and yet I was blinded to realising how much hurry mm -hmm. got in the way of my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. See, hurry, it stops prayer, it stops intimacy, and it ultimately doesn't model the pattern of Jesus' life. Mm -hmm. He was going about his life and so many of the scriptures where he was interrupted by a moment and then a miracle took place. And if life is too busy, the interruption is just a pain and we get frustrated by it. But if life is at the right pace and we're not in a hurry, those moments of interruption can be actually the moments of, of miracles. And that's what we see in Jesus' life. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm learning this lesson in a big way at the moment and hoping to share that journey with you more as we go, but just wanted to throw it out there really on in my journey to go, well, maybe part of our ability to not get to where we want to in God, for our spiritual maturity to not be taking place, for not allowing our transformative moment to become exactly everything God had for us, like we see in Paul. Maybe hurry is the reason that's getting in the way. The second thing I wanted to talk about is this idea of actually getting stuck in our past. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul, more than anyone else, had reasons not to do what God had put on his life. Like he literally was killing Christians, meets Jesus, and then decides my life is going to be going and making more Christians. Like it is like completely the opposite (laughs) thing, right? Um, And if he focused on his past, maybe he never would have got into his future. And I think that's the same thing for us, because if we focus on our past, the things we've done wrong, then we can get stuck. We can hold on to offense. We can feel guilt. We can feel condemnation. Mm. And it ultimately stops us moving forward into the life that Jesus has for us in our future. Mm. I think one of the greatest miracles that we miss in this passage, as Kylie was reading, is this idea of, of what took place when Paul went back to the leaders of the church at that time. Now, can you imagine... This is the guy who was killing Christians. And you think about the early leaders of the church, Peter, James and John and, and the other disciples. Paul probably has killed some of their best friends. Stephen, he held coats. Stephen, yeah, that's right. He was there, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeah. So Paul's, think about that. Paul's, this guy just killed your best mate. Mm. Then he shows up and says, hey, don't worry. I've been saved. I now believe the same thing I'm that you believe. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Can I come and join the inner sanctum of your leadership and help you do what it is you're trying to do? Now, for me, I don't think I'd do that. I couldn't do that. But I could with a supernatural miracle of forgiveness that I think happened with those early disciples upon Paul because they accepted him. Now, like it was a little bit challenging at the start, but ultimately they did. They they said, we can see what God has done in you. We can see that transformation. And yes, we welcome you in. We welcome you in to help us. And I don't think that could have happened without a supernatural miracle in that moment. Mm. What it does is it speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of honor and it speaks of unity. And so there's these two dimensions. One is about us not getting stuck in our past, but also it's about what we learned from the early church. See, they were prepared to let go of someone's past for the sake of their future. They were prepared to allow someone to live in the forgiveness and redemption that God had put on their life for the sake of unity, for the sake of honour of one another, to allow the church to become everything that we know it has. And so we kind of want to finish this. Kyle's going to talk around this idea of unity in the church, which I think comes out so strongly in that passage. Yeah, look, unity is such an important thing. And I remember the first time I heard this idea that a community is some place that has common unity. And we are literally the local community church, you know, but our common unity is our faith in Jesus. And like Derek was saying, actually, it's our faith in Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus that enables us to do unity. Because like so many things, whilst it takes supernatural power, it's also a choice. You know, God can enable us to forgive, but we have to choose to forgive. God can enable us to have unity, but we still have to choose to be united. And I just wanted to give us two things to ponder about um, ways that we can intentionally partner with God in in being a group that choose unity. And it's important to say here, this isn't just in our Christian community. This is in any community you find yourself in. It could be your work community, your family community, where you live. If you're the person that is known to bring unity, you become literally a representative of Christ mm, in that place because he's all about unity. 
So the first one, and this is one that anyone who's close to us will have heard us talk about, ATB, assume the best. Um, you know, this isn't just verbally, but this is also in thought. So when something happens, when anything's going on with someone, assume the best. And we'll even say this to each other. If we hear someone say something, we're like, wait a minute, take a breath, assume the best. And I think one of the things that can easily happen, and it's interesting, even if we're hurried, if we're rushed and we have less time, so we have less tolerance, we tend to take things at face value and make assumptions around what's going on. But actually, I think we're meant to be people who ask the question of why. Why would they be acting like that? Why, why is that going on for them rather than getting upset at what has happened to you because of the behaviour? So being more interested in the why behind the behaviour. You know, there's stickers all around the place now that say things like, be kind, you don't know what someone's going through. Mm. But the reality is I would say show love because you don't know what someone is going through. You know, usually there's a reason behind behaviour and just as we would want others to assume the best of us, we need to be doing the same with others. And one thing I find really helpful with this is remembering that every single person on this earth is created in the image of God. Now, there are things we do that distort that image, no doubt. But none of those things change us from being image bearers of God, which means that those people have God in them in some context and try to be people that see the image of God in others. Even if you're finding the tiniest speck, <laughs> you know that God can work with that. So keeping that eye of God, show me yourself in that person and help me assume the best. Help me see you in them. Um, so that's the first one, assume the best. The second one is, and it actually lines up a bit with what Derek said, this idea of be as interested in other people's discipleship journey as you are in your own. You know, it's really easy to get on this pathway of what it is to become more like Christ. And while it's important that we don't get caught in our own past, it's really important we don't stick other people in their past as well. You know, along that discipleship journey, we're all going to be at different stages. And there will even be times sometimes you watch someone stagnate or even maybe step back a little bit. And that can be really frustrating to watch. And frustration can lead to disunity. But I think if we always look at people and see it as their discipleship journey, this is their path to becoming more like Christ. And our heart is how do I encourage them along that path? How do I look at my journey and the grace I've been given all the way along and show that to someone else? Now, it goes back to the beginning. This has to come from our relationship with Jesus. This has to come from what he does in us, changing how we respond to others. But ultimately, I think if we can be people that choose to assume the best in others and take that extra moment to find out why and care what's going on in their life more than how they're impacting us and also care about their journey of becoming more like Christ and how we can encourage them in that, especially when they hit the hurdles, um, then we'll be people who bring in unity in the way we speak to others, but also the way we think about others. And that's going to help us be a community that actually shines the light of Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has encouraged and inspired you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.church.